I'm very delighted to be here, and it was, uh, yeah, uh, it's a, it's a, it's always great to be at the, to be invited at a point where there is a, where something new is about to happen, and we are not discussing like, on some other places where where digital preservation or digital art is like, where everyone already thinks they have figured out everything, and we are just discussing what version of XML should be used for this or that thing without even thinking is what we are doing actually productive or right. So I'm, I'm very much uh, yeah, delighted to be, to be part of the, of, um, yeah, here like something that feels formational. Um, okay, I will not talk about home computer music today, but I want to just speak ab about Rhizome, which is the institution I work for. So Rhizome is a, is a digital arts institution that has been founded on the internet in 1996 as a mailing list uh, by internet artists. Um, and already in 1998, a program called Artbase was introduced in order to, to give the, the art form some more establishment, basically. Um, it was an open accession archive where if someone would feel that they would be an internet artist, they could submit their work, upload it basically to the art base, and then there were some very simple formal criteria uh, if this would go into the art base, and like that the collection grew very quickly. Um, so when I started my job in 2014, I was faced with a collection of more than 2,000 net artworks. And so this probably also um, will explain some of the approaches that I thought I need to develop that are different from a museum, for example, that deals with a dozen digital artworks and not net artworks. <coughs> so, uh, and on, on top of that, um, in, in 2017 and 2018, Rhizome launched the Net Art Anthology, which was a two-year project where every week the history of net art from our perspective was told with one piece being presented online every week, which means like 50 pieces per week, uh, per year. And it meant that we had to be, many of them required preservation action just to, for being able to be presented again. And um, that means like we had to develop a, a pace and a rhythm um, for preservation on top of the large amount that, that was there. <clears throat> and I have to say, while it was um, sometimes a bit uh, stressful, it was also extremely productive, all of this. Okay, so I'm also mixing in a few live websites here, which is, yeah, so this is the website and you see of the NetArt Anthology, which ends with the final piece here the art happens here. Um, it, is, it is also important to understand that Rhizome is an organization that while we appear in, in gallery space from time to time, we are basically an internet organization, a full-on internet organization. Um, we work in a distributed team uh, in, in different parts of the world, and we take the internet as an exhibition and collection platform like super seriously. <clears throat> yeah, so these are the 100 works. Each of them has its own site with 
reenactments or documentation or things like that. Okay. Um, so this was the exhibition at the New Museum in New York with which the NetArt Anthology project concluded in the beginning of this year in January. And I want to talk about a few of the pieces that, um, that uh, show the preservation approaches that we have developed at Rhizome, of course, together with all of the other people that I will mention in the, in the, in the course of my talk. Uh, I want to talk especially about these here. Um, there, there are two pieces here shown in the same manner. Um, and for that, uh, Starry Night by, by Mark Tribe and collaborators, which was um, created at the turn of the millennium and is a, um, it, was a, it was a website that would give an interface to Rhizome's mailing list archives in the form of um, a star map with constellations and the constellations would form along the topics of the email list conversations. And um, that project was, when I started, it's, it's like one of the, one of the precious uh, items in the collection. Uh, and it was broken to the biggest extent. And I thought I would never be able to bring it back. Um, but by combining a few, a, few different, a few different approaches, it was indeed possible. I mean, the worst thing was probably that this was not developed along any of the guidelines that Jamal has um, <laughs> outlined. Um, it was a mixture, mixture of four different programming languages, um, a pile of code where you didn't really knew which one was used by the artists in the end and which is just dead code. Um, source code was missing in, in many places. And, but the worst thing was that, um, of course, Java, although it's like write once, run anywhere, the Java applet didn't work at all. And the, um, the emails have all been deleted. I mean, this is Rhizome's emails and they have been deleted uh, during the course of, I don't know, some error that happened before I started. That's what I want to say. It wasn't me. <laughs> and um, so, but, but, but what is important here is that the same thing that is presented here online on the, on the NetArt Anthology um, is, is exactly the same software that is presented in the gallery. So here I'm, I'm connecting to uh, an emulation framework that runs on Rhizome's infrastructure. This is um, EAAS, Emulation as a Service, a project by the um, University of Freiburg originally. And it encapsulates, as you have seen, there's a Windows 2000 computer booting up and it's connecting to exactly, it, it basically abstracts these things that Jamal has uh, shown, like with hardware operating system and then artifact. Um, it abstracts and encapsulates them. There is also a simulated network environment here that embodies the mock principle that um, Jamal has introduced. And I can now look here at these emails and say, this, this is the topic of NetArt, so I can take for example, a virtual reality post here. Oh, no, uh, now I'm switching to virtual reality. This is how I would read um, a message. And so this is all coming from a mock of the emails that have been deleted that were hosted on a web server, but now I can access them like this. So I can also here switch to the topic of video and go here. And this is a piece that's basically 20 years old um, and this has been has been brought back. 
And it's the same in, in the gallery. So um, when I'm going back to my presentation here, you see um, wh what we did here is also we used a, a standard computer that doesn't do anything special, but the emulation framework runs on there too, and we just connected um, a contemporaneous screen so that the look of the, of the stars is like imitated. But it's not critical. We could also use another screen for that. Okay, and this technique has been actually been developed for um, the first time it was shown at the um, Haus der Elektronische Künste in Basel, Switzerland, for the exhibition uh, My Boyfriend Came Back from the War 20 Years Online, where we first, uh, yeah, which was already, it was technically not that elegant, but the principle was the same. We also used contemporaneous um, screens and a contemporaneous mouse that even had a ball. But in fact, it was going to like some standard computer. This computer here we got as a, as a theater prop just for the atmosphere, it doesn't do anything. Also, it means like when teenagers come to the gallery and turn off the computer, nothing happens because it's like the computer is somewhere else. In, in other, in, as you have seen here, um, in that setup, we took care that it is clearly expressed that this is an, a recreation and emulation project. So we didn't, this is on a, on a plexiglass stand. In other instantiations of the, um, of the My Boyfriend Came Back from the War Show, the, the tables were made of, made of glass and the emulated computer was below the desk. Okay, and so I want to quickly um, also explain how do we conceptualize um, objecthood in NetArt or in networked software in general. Um, so with, um, with a classic archival approach or sometimes also with a classic art preservation approach, you have the idea that the object and the artifact are kind of one. Um, for example, in document preservation, in digital document preservation, you would think there's a Word file or a PDF file and that's the object. But we think about it that there is an artifact and that artifact is basically the state of everything when the computer is turned off. That is like the, the thing that is still there when the electricity is gone. Then there is performance required and that's the performance of the computer. The computer has to, has to do things to these artifacts to then create the object and the object is only that what, you can, what actually makes sense, what you can interact with. So this is also basically on, the, on uh, Jamal's um, layer model, we would say all of this is, this is maybe the disk image and the software in the turned off state, but the object is only there when you actually see, let's say this starry night on the screen. <clears throat> so, um, and that is where we go above storage basically. So this can be stored, this cannot be stored. And that puts net art, or actually a lot of digital art, into an in-between space in between fine arts and performance art. So on the internet, you encounter certain artifacts and you, objects, I mean, <laughs> objects, and you interact with them in a certain way. So there is something that is stable and there is something that is performative. Something that doesn't have any type of embodiment as an, as an artifact or object in a computer basically doesn't exist because all a computer is doing is making copies like all the time. So there is never nothing there. And this is I think also an interesting um, idea about the, the question that was raised here before, like how do you agree with artists to make copies? 
as soon as you start up a computer like 5,000 copies of everything are made, it's copied from the disk into memory, from the memory to the browser cache, from the browser cache to, I don't know, your backup drive. It all happens automatically. You can't do anything about it. So the artifactual part is definitely there, and the performance part is definitely there too. So when thinking about this, how would we say an object is preserved? So what is like the goal? Um, and I put this in quotes because there is never a state when an object is just preserved. I think you got the sense from that from, from uh, the previous speakers, but rather like what is the state that we want to bring an object into so that we can handle it? First of all, the boundaries need to be defined. Um, that this, is, this is more difficult than it sounds because when you think, oh, I have this, I have this object and I, like, I see these stars and maybe there's a description by the artist and that is, that is the artwork. But very often, and especially with net art, it is kind of also the attractiveness of the artwork that the boundaries are not really clear. And in that, when that's the case, like for example, one of the examples would be the brutalism piece that, um, um, that was shown before from Tate's collection is it makes connections to the internet and there's Google there and like that's, that's good that you don't know what's coming back. That's like part of the artwork. So there is a, a blurry thing definitely going on there. But sometimes you at least have to have a strategy in mind what happens when Google goes away and this has like happened to hundreds of net artworks. Mm. For example, Google's API calls in the beginning were all free. You could just use them and now you have to be a registered developer and pay them. And if you have like 100 net art pieces in your collection that do Google API calls, then you're thinking this might cost a lot and we will need to change all the code and all the things, right? Okay. Then second, what you have defined as a conservator is the boundary of your object. This has to be embodied by artifacts and a special type of artifact is the environment. The environment is the, the computing environment that would bring this back. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to store the computer in, computing environment at the moment because if you would put it in a virtual machine, let's say, or if you, would, um, if you would put it in an emulator, it wouldn't perform as it should and it would historicize the piece. Many artists, uh, digital artists and net artists too, work very media specific. So they make um, works that work the best in some original environment that everyone knows, like Instagram or so. So when an artist does a performance on Instagram over a few months, it is not, they will not be able to like hand over Instagram to you or give you their iPhone where you, where you would scroll through this. This is, um, this is then more for a historical context. But still, when you think about it, you have to think, is the environment that this is made for, is it there? Do I have it or does everyone have it and I don't necessarily need to take care about it right now, but in the future? So if everyone has Google Chrome on their computer, then I don't need to provide Google Chrome. It would actually be a, a increasing the distance in between the, the viewer of the artwork and, and the artwork. But at some point I just have to do it and that's a trade-off that has to happen. Then third, the performance of the artwork can be reproduced. Um, this is actually a take on 
the significant properties because I'm having like uh, I'm 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 really from a different background and I I kind of have a have an issue with this term that there is something that is actually in there that you can I don't know pick out and say this is what I want. It is more like even the definition of what that is can be very mushy because, um, for example, I work with the Transmediale art collection, uh, CD-ROM collection that has like 300 pieces of CD-ROM art from, again, the 2000s. Many of them had instructions with them and none of them said you need a mouse. Because it was clear, why would you even write that down? Everyone has a mouse, so... Um, there, there are many things today that we are absolutely blind to because they are so normal. The most normal things are the hardest things to describe. And so if the performance can be reproduced, that means like in the environment that I think are the target environments of this, there are certain things that I want to happen, certain interactions or, or processes that I want to enable, and these should be there. And usually this is... This is made possible by having the software, having the environment, having the data. Um, sometimes it can be like impossible to, to test if your emulator, for example, itself has a bug. Um, this can sometimes only be even, uh, so sometimes even the creators of the artwork wouldn't, would say, oh, this works fine, but then if you go to the screen number 9000 in the piece, there might be a, a pixel of a difference or so, but you know. I don't care. <laughs> uh, it's not that I don't care, but I think this is definitely a trade-off that can be made, especially when you think that NetArt is, has always been not made for one like canonical installation, but users would encounter it on their computer that might be a Windows computer, a Macintosh computer, that might have a big screen, that might have a small screen, they might see it in a cafe with headphones, or they might, they might hear the sound, they might not hear the sound, they might be expecting something because they think it's a game, or they might expect something else because they think it's art. Um, so there is a lot of variability in there. Okay. And fourth is portability, and I would even l leverage that up to fungibility, so that and this is what, why I showed the, the Starry Night example, for example, is, uh, is that the only thing I need to worry about with, with the Starry Night example in the end, which was a, a tremendous effort to collect all the data from backups, like the emails, the backups that someone had by accident, then changing the star data so that it doesn't point to stars that we don't have emails for and all these kinds of things. In the end, I never want to think about that ever again. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to keep it open so that if I find more emails, that I can include them into this. And this is also how this is constructed. So you need to, be, you need to think about what parts do I want to keep moving, but also what do I not want to think about anymore. And for example, I don't want to think about how Windows 2000 works. Even Microsoft doesn't work, know how Windows 2000 works. So how would I know? Um, but it is definitely possible to run this on the web, to run this on a local computer, uh, like on my laptop, and to run it in a gallery. And th that's like, that's what I think is 
the main goal of all preservation activity in the digital space is like you reduce the, the surface that needs to be maintained. You package as much as possible. You abstract as much as possible without, I mean, keeping in mind the trade-offs that might happen when, um, that how, how this might affect the artwork in the end. So for example, in the old days of Starry Night, I would go to Rhizome's website, hit the link to Starry Night, the Java applet would start, which might take some time, but it doesn't take as much time as Windows 2000 now takes to boot up in my browser. But I mean, that's, that's definitely a trade-off that I like to make. Okay, and in, we also published a book about the NetArt ontology where in the end, every single work in there has a preservation matrix with the abstractions that we developed, like what preservation um, activity was conducted on each artwork. And for some of them, it was also just, there is nothing left of this anymore. We only have pictures in books or VHS video where someone um, filmed uh, how, it, how it looked and then that's the only thing that we can present. But otherwise, yeah, there's always these um, examples here. Now I need to look if I didn't miss any link on the way here. Oh yeah, sure, I wanted to show, um, I wanted to show here how my boyfriend came back from the war is presented online, which is another abstraction layer as you see. Um, this is just a browser, and this browser is running in a container. Um, so in order to, as I learned now, to loosen the strength of a dependency, um, we thought like, if we don't really need Windows 2000 or Windows 98, let's not deal with it, because that's just making things more complicated. It increases the startup time and everything. So this is a Linux container that contains nothing but a wine, I mean, for those who know about that, that's like a, an abstraction layer that makes Windows programs think that Linux is actually Windows. And it's good enough to run Netscape 3. So um, here we are. And this is also running from the artist server. The artist didn't give us a copy of that piece. Um, but, and this is also, this is something I will, I will talk later about, like ownership, ideas of ownership. The artist has her server configured that it, it's maximum three kilobytes per second. The, so this is imitating the loading speed of that project in 1996 when it was created, because that's important for the rhythm. So that's also another thing that you can, that you can uh, turn. So, and this is, this is really a collaboration. So like Rhizome has the, has the, the capabilities to run the old browser the artist has the artwork, has also some capabilities, and we work together, and in the end, this is the presentation. Okay. <clears throat> so, now boundaries, this is my favorite topic. I'm so sold on boundaries, I could, and I will talk about boundaries. <laughs> so, when dealing with internet art, we have several degrees of boundedness of a thing. Um, and I, I definitely, I, I see any digital artifact, I see it as software. Because if you think like, is an HTML file data or is it software? It's like very unclear because you can put JavaScript in there. In a Word document, it's data. It looks like a, a nice, funny 
data piece that you move around, but it can have lots of viruses embedded in it, for example. So it's also software. Everything, everything is software for me. So um, boundary, when a thing is fully bound, that's, I use Microsoft Word. That's, and the old version of Microsoft Word, like the version from, this is, I think, um, from Windows 3.11, the icon, because you get it on a CD-ROM at that time or on 20 diskettes. You copy that full software on your computer and everything that the software can do is available on your computer. Um, I, this is the same for a, an operating system that doesn't do any, um, any activity with outside detachable media or network, uh, network traffic. Then second, there's a blurry object. The object is partly here and partly who knows where. Um, I use the QuickTime player as an example. This is QuickTime 6. I use it because the design is so ridiculous. It's um, to remind everyone that Apple was tacky and <laughs> is still tacky. It's not like so. Um, so what QuickTime is doing, it gives you an install program like QuickTime install.exe. You double-click it, and parts of the player are on your computer, are installed on your computer. But anything that you want to do is um, is uh, connected to or is dependent on the existence of certain serv uh, services on Apple.com. And of course, Apple long have discontinued support for this uh, software. And so, you, even if you have the software, it cannot perform all of its functions. So um, there was a, a very tacky drawer here that you could draw out and you would have certain channels. It was like a very early Netflix, you could even say. And you could pick what you want to watch. Of course, you pull this drawer out and it's empty or you're getting error messages. Th this is just an example. This is not necessarily relevant unless an artist hosted their video with Apple QuickTime. Um, but I hope they will ha would have a, um, a copy of that um, in another way. Um, the same is with actually one of the most important pieces of software for Internet art, which is Internet Explorer 6, which dominated the net for almost a decade because Microsoft had this huge monopoly on Windows XP. And this is blurry software. You can download it, but it tries to download the rest of its components from Microsoft and it's not there anymore. Um, the way to get Internet Explorer 6 today is getting an edition of Windows XP that has it fully integrated like the version that you want. Otherwise, the software is lost. I, I know there are like government archives um, where, where you can get it, but also like if it's easier to, to get it with the complete Windows XP, that's fine. But for example, it doesn't run in a container. It needs the full Windows XP. And then there are fully boundless objects. That's like, I, I used Instagram here. Um, Insta artists work with Instagram. Instagram is a thing in a way. It's an artifact that you encounter, but there is no control that anyone apart from Instagram themselves have over it. And even, um, even if I would have the power to ask Facebook, can I get a copy of Instagram? I'm not sure if they would be able to give me one because it's a constantly evolving system and they do A-B testing on it. Like some users see one interface, other users see another interface. Um, and then they figure out on which of these designs users click on more ads and then they run with that one. So it is, it is in itself um, 
like very hard to define a boundary in it and you will never get any control over it. Okay, so what type of artifacts are resulting from these levels of, of bound, bound, boundedness? Um, and I want to, yeah, this is, this is like going to this concept of the mock. Sometimes you can work with a fully performative system, but then there is, a, there is like a sliding scale where you move into documentation and it doesn't have to be a clear cut. For example, web archives are like very much in between. Um, or yeah, if you, if you create a mock service, if you create a mock Google search, um, that is like very close to documentation, but it's not actual documentation. It's more like, yeah, this is how it used to be and we can recreate it, but it's not the real Google, but it's also not nothing. So software environments, and I want to now give some, some clear examples of these artifacts but uh, in reality, you use them all the time in, in combination and with different techniques. So, one of my favorite software environments is, yeah, there's now, I'm, I'm sorry about this. This should be much smaller. There's a, you see the, you see the black space is too big. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but here, this is, this is um, the piece, um, uh, IOD by IOD, IOD3, which was a, a group, um, in, in Great Britain, who would distribute software out on diskettes and uh, bulletin board systems where you could download um, the, um, uh, the software. And um, this here is, a, this also comes with an installer and the installing process is part of the artwork. So they were one of the first that wrote their own like licenses that are totally crazy. So if you read them, they're pretty funny. Um, and so I'm installing something now, and you see here, this is, um, this is just empty folders that are in empty folders, and um, the, the, um, the names of the folders and the arrangement of the windows on screen forms a poem about what happens in the computer. And it's compared with, with Dante's Inferno. It's, um, it's a very beautiful, um, it's a very beautiful piece, but if you think about it, would I just take these files, like these folders, can I, can I just store it in that way? Of course not, because only this version of the operating system has exactly that feature that every, um, every window can have its own coordinates and you see its own size. Um, and yeah, you see, it's pretty dramatic. It's like you're going through a for a theater performance and this is the stage, right? There's even a, a place where a window opens that have two folders and then you can choose a path. That's the most exciting part, okay? So, but that's a fully contained computing environment with the data basically being in it too. Um, this is a, let's say, ooh, software environments. Oh yeah, ha, I knew what I wanted to do. The second is containers. containers we see them also as like um, an interim step before a computing environment can, needs to be moved into, a, into an emulator. We use containers especially for software that needs to run on a server because it's extremely cheap. You can basically run like 50 containers on a single server and as long as not everyone wants to look at all of the containers at the same time, it's fine. And I mean, we are dealing with art, this is not 
Instagram. So um, it usually works pretty well. So this is a, this is a container um, for, the, for a, a piece of critical writing by, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the artist. I have to quickly look up. That's embarrassing. Here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Here. Jean McHugh. Okay. Sorry. I hope this is not streamed. And I, no, I hope Jean doesn't see it. So, <laughs> so um, this is um, this is a a WordPress blog, WordPress version one point something. I forgot exactly what version it is. That used to be online. Um, it was put online um, on um, the 29th of December 2009. That's the URL, uh, or that was the name how it was hosted. It was. 122909a.com. I think the A is just because you can't have a domain name that only has numbers in it. Um, and this blog was turned off. There were some fragments of it on, in web archives to be found, but the whole text were published in a book. And so what we did was, um, from these um, fragments that were on the web archives, it was easy to see this is a really Old version, oh, sorry, old version of WordPress. Also, we know when the blog was started, and the point of the artist was basically, I just use everything default, 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 default. I make no customization. So we use an old version of WordPress, put it in an old version of a server, and put that into a container, and then basically pasted the text from the book back onto the blog where it originated. And from what we found on web archives, we could basically reconstruct the tags and the sorting and everything. So now it's also possible to search um, this again just as it was. It's a reconstruction, but again, the idea is I want to only do this once. I never want to do this again. So it's in a container, and it's also very easy to move a container into an emulator should that be needed. But we don't do this unless it's needed because, yeah, emulators are more expensive. They need more CPU time. Okay. Then web archives. Oh yeah. So these are things where we get into the blurry directory, uh, blurry direction. Here um, and I want to talk about this tool a little bit too. This is a tool that Rhizome has developed on its own, which is called Web Recorder, which is um, a web archiving service and whole software framework with a focus on art. Um, however, it has been adopted by traditional archivists or national libraries or things like that too. And so um, quickly to describe what, why I web archived this. So Mediengruppe Bitnik is a group from Switzerland that is doing like very interventionalist action online and anywhere where I don't know electricity is involved basically. They published a book with this title, script alert, open brackets, Mediengruppe Bitnik, Bracket close, script close. That is a very small snippet of JavaScript that a browser would execute. The browser would show an alert box that um, says Mediengruppe Bitnik. So the idea was they named their, their book like this and see what happens with book, pay, with, with like book uh, traders, book merchant websites. Um, so I want to show you what happened back then here, Buchhandlung Walter König. This is like a very, um, uh, yeah, this is a very nice, um, you see, oh, okay. 
So on the day when the book was published and appeared on these sites, I went in with WebRecorder and captured the pages. And you see here, web, it says Mediengruppe Bitnik. Mediengruppe Bitnik, like, because the Buchhandlung Walter König just put the title of the book into their web page. And that means the script is executed. Um, let's see here, there's also Saxo, Mediengruppe Bitnik, yeah, Mediengruppe Bitnik. Mediengruppe Bitnik, Mediengruppe Bitnik. And you know, when the alert is open, you can't do anything on the page. So that was like part of the hack um, or of the like intervention. And you see here now the things appear um, bit by bit as all of the scripts need to be executed. This is like so many times. <laughs> I'm not sure. Every time the, the title is on the page. That's yeah. Yes, yeah, and this is especially nice if you're searching for something and you get a search result page and Mediengruppe Bitnik is like at the very bottom, you don't even see it, it says Mediengruppe Bitnik like all the time. Um, so this is very beautiful. Um, of course, yeah, I love this, yeah. So this is, um, for this to work, I basically need the, this is how the, the software of these bookshops is written. It has not, it, they never thought about the fact that someone could name a book like that. And so it doesn't do any security measures against it. And what in the end happened is that um, the title in the ISBN directory of the book was actually changed in order to um, relieve all these bookshops from this trouble. So, if, so nowadays, if I look at this URL, which I see here, this is the URL I visited, this is the date I visited it. Um, if I look at this today, it will look different. So let's compare. So it worked only for a very short amount of time. So you see, everything's fine now, everything's boring. <laughs> yeah, I like insecurity. I like, um, I like bugs. Yeah, so, so this is, so you see, it is performative, it does things but it's not the real thing. It's like on the, on the sliding scale, it's closer, it's very close to documentation. It's not a video. This is actually happening. The old code of the website is preserved, but it is not the real website. All the server parts are missing. It's only what you see. And this is, this is how WebRecorder works. It's the, um, it sits in between your browser and the internet, and it is this, exactly this negotiation layer that um, Jamal mentioned. It, sees responses and requests, uh, re requests and responses, and then later it fakes them again. Okay. And then I think that's um, probably for, especially in the museum world, this is something um, that I think needs to catch on more, which is you can also use public data for your artwork um, to like consider it for restoration. So here we have, um, we have this artwork from Heath Bunting, uh, which is yeah, a, a, very, a very simple website that he has, um, that, that, that documents certain, certain cyber cafe actions. And so he, he's like basically a political activist artist in between. And so um, we know that this exists. I want to show this here quickly on the, presentation again, we know that, that this exists in a public web archive. 
the public web archive shows it in a, like in your current browser, so you don't get the feeling that it is old. You don't get the feeling that it's a historical piece. But we can also say um, we use the framework Old Web Today, which combines uh, web archives with an emulator. And it is set up here in a way that this URL is loaded from a bunch of web archives. It's asking the Library of Congress, the British National Library, um, the Internet Archive, of course, the Portuguese web archive, which is a very good one, one of the best. Um, and also, do you have this page at that point in time? And one of them will maybe answer yes and says, here, I have this page. It's made of three resources. It's the HTML file. It's this graphic. It's this graphic. So these are three resources have been loaded. And they are spanning, like they have been archived in between 2000, um, 2001, yet, like in the course of one day. So this is not necessarily the ex not necessarily all of this is exact from the same time even, but this is much better than not showing anything or just showing a screenshot because now I can also use this old browser and walk around in that old website with, with the old browser. And it will be, the, the resources will be taken from different web archives. It's an, an aggregator of public data. All right, here. There are many web sources where you get like three or four different resources when uh, a single resource, uh, like a single web page is not completely located in one archive, but the images are there, the text is there, um, another image comes from somewhere else. Okay, so now, um, I, and I, I hope that this was all illustrative about how do you need to think about um, or how, how I like to think about, especially when I have to deal with a lot of objects in a very short succession, um, that what is really valuable for that kind of work. Um, and I'm always amused by these projects. This is something that, um, that GitHub has announced. So GitHub is, this, um, is a, an open source code repository where you can put your source code in and invite other people to work on it. At Rhizome, we also use Git to make versions of artworks when we have to change something uh, in there. So we have a, we have a log of, of source code modifications if we need to make them. Um, but Git is now saying we are putting on this date, on the 2nd of February 2020, any open source code that we have, we will put it into this vault in Norway and there it will be stored for 1,000 years. And that is... <laughs> I mean, in this vault in Norway, they usually store seeds of crops, so that if a nuclear explosion happens or something and only five people survive, they can come out later and they have the crops and they can grow corn again and aubergines and all the nice things. Um, but this makes no sense for software because, it, I mean, that's also what Shemar said, once you stop running software, which is a part of maintenance, really, how I see it. If you know how to run a certain software, that's already a big, um, that's already knowledge. Or if, if you're able to, to, to publish this online, that's, that's knowledge. But if you stop doing that for 10 years or for like a thousand years, what will come out of this vault is just garbage. Because <laughs> what, will be, um, 
what will someone do in a thousand years with my Node.js build chain that is using Grunt or whatever? This is like impossible to manage today. How is this going to be managed in a thousand years? That's a very, I mean, I, th I think this is, this is very Silicon Valley, a Silicon Valley idea of um, preservation of digital culture, which I don't know, has a lot of nihilism built in because like, oh yeah, we are all gonna die, but our software will be in a space probe circling around Uranus or something. This is like, this is not preservation. This is, this is a publicity stunt, right? <clears throat> um, but how do people come to these ideas? And this is where we really have, as, as conservators, um, have to reflect on what is our background and what do, how do we think about computers? Because essentially computers, this is a, a Xerox star from 1979 where the desktop metaphor was basically invented. It was invented by, uh, or this, this project was brought forward by the same company that created the laser printer from copying machines from Xerox. And they basically needed a digital system to send bitmaps to that machine so that they could sell it, that, that you could make really nice, neat documents without a typewriter. And it was their idea that basically the computer should resemble an office with files and folders and all these things. You could print it out on a Xerox printer. It would have the same size as on screen. Um, a lot of these ideas are still embodied from like paper conservation to now to document conservation. Or I don't know, this is like my nightmare object. This is another idea like these cuneiform tablets, they have survived 5,000 years. How can we make software survive 5,000 years? This makes no sense because, <laughs> because um, I mean, this says like, this farmer has to pay five bulls and two sheep to the Lord. Um, but uh, why do we still have this? We have it because it's trash. Any, any great building that was made of stone from, from any of the huge civilizations has been dismantled by the people that came after, after that, that like civilization collapsed. It was really useful stuff, like stones and um, other, other building materials. This was just, you couldn't use it for anything. It was ruined. Um, it, it used to be soft clay, but then how did they become hard? It was usually because of war and the archives were set on fire. Um, and I think this is very bad if you think about, I want to make something preservable just as this that survives the apocalypse. I just want to, that I want to prevent the apocalypse. <laughs> okay, yeah, and so like, this is, for some, you have to think, like, do I think that this and this is the same? Structurally, in a way, yes, but if you take the metaphor too far, it is a hindrance in, in preservation work. And here, this is, um, this is a piece by Sara Ludi. It's called Aviary. It's a, it's a VR work. And um, I think especially VR is a good um, like test for your mindset about what a computer is or what software is. Um, this, is a, this is a work, a, a piece that she's been working on since 2017. It's an incredibly um, beautiful. This is a, I took screenshots from a video documentation of it. And um, so you are, you're basically in your headset, you're exploring this landscape, there are just glittery things blowing around, uh, there is sound, you can push these, these, I don't know, beautiful things around and they move. 
so how would you approach this from the perspective of a sculpture conservator? Would you say, I want to catalog all of these objects and where they are standing? Um, do you want to think, I will document this as a video? And I don't know, uh, make a documentation about this invented country maybe? <laughs> do I think the software is what makes all of this move and puts it together? How, what kind of abstraction layer do I want to put around it? Do I want to store the, the headset? Um, do I, yeah, I mean, when, when I started at Rhizome, the first thing I did was, we had a collection of old hardware and I wrote on Twitter, anyone who wants an old Macintosh, an SCSI scanner and another old Macintosh, please come by, I will present it to you um, for free because the decision was the focus will always be on pure software because hardware, we are too small of an organization. We are just like 11 people, uh, in, including like five people working on web recorder only, uh, no, six. <laughs> and um, that's, uh, so hardware sustain is, is just not sustainable for us. Okay, and that means, um, I hope that, yeah. I wanted to talk about this idea of ownership and I, I like that the, the term care has been used here a lot in, in previous, in, in previous uh, presentations but also in discussions. Um, when you think about that your objects are blurry or the, or the, um, the knowledge required to work with these objects or to work or to like draw the right abstraction layer or the even the data might not be yours on the net. It might belong to Google or Instagram or whatever. Then you are switching from owning everything, like to, to having it somewhere in your like building maybe even, Rhizome, I mean, we have offices in New York, but I mean, we don't need them really to, to operate. Uh, should, should, we, should we be kicked out there, we would still exist. Um, so let's say it's on your server maybe even, maybe it's not even on your server. Um, it might be that another institution bought the artwork, let's say another institution would have bought Starry Night, if they would have that email, uh, that email archive that I would need to work with them, maybe we would need to establish a bridge in between them and they take care of the emails because they want to index them or present them in another way and we would need to provide the access interface or we would provide the emulation framework with the, with the browsers and the artists host their artwork still because it's still theirs. Um, so it's more about um, a service for the artwork. And it's also not, it's not necessarily something that you can say, I will, this, is, this costs me so much money and in the future I will sell it for that much money again. It's more, the idea that you, the cultural value is um, preserved through care and that care might be distributed too. Okay, that's it, that's my email address. <laughs>